Today we're going to be in the book of Daniel. Uh, it is uh, the, the first uh, kind of entree into what the people of God are experiencing after Israel is conquered uh, and they uh, are experiencing the Babylonian exile. Now we have a whole lot of prophetic literature uh, around this, but uh, this is the kind of earliest stages while the, the conquering king is still in power, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 4 and following on through uh, 15. By the way, you're not going to get the whole kind of close to the story. So if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, you might be disappointed. Just uh, allow the Lord to kind of close it out for you. Uh, and if, you, uh, uh, if you're not familiar with this passage, I'll give you a little bit of that in the sermon, hopefully. Beginning in verse 4 of Daniel 3. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, trump, uh, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. There are some Jews who... Whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to be able to gather with the saints and to hear from you through your holy word. Lord, I ask that you would be present with us in this space, in this time, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here that we would hear from you. And as you speak, we will listen. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds, we come to know and understand your word, our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, O oh God, that you would offer us the gift of opening our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story actually begins before we uh, have the, the prominent scene of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It actually begins with an impossible task. King Nebuchadnezzar has uh, established uh, a kingdom that uh, the world had not yet known before. It is uh, such a vast and, and, and glorious kingdom conquering uh, nation after nation, so much so that he would enter into a nation and they would submit to his rule and wave a white flag of surrender before any bloodshed was even spilt. This was the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, he, he had an impossible task that he laid out. Here's, here it is. He said to all of his kind of uh, uh, inner circle, Hey, I have had a dream. Not just one dream, but this dream is a repeating dream. It's coming to me over and over and over again. So much so that I can't sleep. I'm the king of kings, the lord of lords, and I can't sleep. So I need you to interpret the dream for me. Whoever does interpret the dream for me is going to be rewarded. Wildly with vast uh, authority and, and, and wealth. And so, uh, of course, people were lined up like, yeah, tell me the dream so I can interpret it. Because uh, if, if I could interpret this dream, I'm going to be like just super rich and it's going to be awesome. But I said it was an impossible task, not an easy task. It was an impossible task. So here's what the impossible task looked like. King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not going to tell you the dream." Not only do you need to interpret it, but if, if I'm to know that it's an accurate interpretation, I'm actually going to need you to tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it. And the people like, like straight laugh at him. They were like, man, what you ask has never been asked before. There's been no king on earth that has ever asked for his inner circle to interpret a dream like this. This is an, impo an impossible task. What you are asking is too much. We might be able to interpret a dream, but we can't tell you what you dreamt and interpret it. And so he gets mad. I mean, and as a king with all sorts of power does, when they get mad, they want to just kill people. And so he's like, kill all the Jews. 
I mean, it's not like the Jews were at fault here. It's not like they, 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 they didn't do anything wrong. They're like innocent bystanders. They're not even like woven into the story yet in Daniel chapter 2. But, but he's like, you don't know my dream. You can't interpret my dream. Kill all the wise Jews. Boom. And so the people that were called to go execute this uh, this task, go amongst the Jews, and, and Daniel uh, says, hey, what's going on? And he says, uh, well, the king wants an impossible task. He wants people to, to interpret a dream. He won't even tell them what the dream is, so they have to tell them what he dreamt, and they have to interpret it. And uh, so since no one can do it, you're going to die. And so Daniel goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, pray. We're all going to pray. We're going to pray that the Lord would make a way for us through this. And the very next day, Daniel woke up, and the Lord had provided the means through which he could accomplish the impossible task. The Lord revealed to him Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation of it, And so Daniel goes before the king and says, King, king who wants me to die because others can't do what you ask, I'm ready to interpret your dream. So here's what the dream entails. This dream is is, kind of wonky. Uh, but remember, this is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar cannot uh, sleep over. It's the dream that is haunting him. He needs to know what it means. So there's this big statue in this dream. All right, and the statue is made of all different sorts of materials uh, in each different body part. And, and, and here's the dream. First, there's a gold head. And then there's a chest of silver, there's a, a midsection, belly and thighs made of bronze, and then legs are made of iron, and then the feet are made of a mixture of iron and clay. And then what happens is uh, there, there's this rock that comes from a mountain and like is thrown, cast upon the feet made of iron and clay, and then the whole thing crumbles from the gold to the silver to the bronze, to the iron, to the iron and clay. All of it crumbles. And so this is the dream. Big statue, kind of funky, made out of all kinds of different stuff. Rock, throne, crumble. And not just any crumble, like like crumble crumble, like like little pieces crumble. Like it, it describes it, what Nebuchadnezzar is seeing in his dreams is that as everything crumbles, it actually is blown where the wind like blows it away like chafe on the threshing floor in the springtime. It is like this, this just wiping off of the history books blown away. So Daniel, never having dreamt that dream, never hearing Nebuchadnezzar describe it, performs the impossible task, names the dream, and then interprets it. He interprets the dream, and and he does so in such a way that that it starts to establish for us a a better understanding of who Nebuchadnezzar is, and not just who Nebuchadnezzar says he is, and not just his accomplishments that we know of as he invaded Israel, but but, uh, or from any history books, but an honest Uh, God-fearing description of who Nebuchadnezzar is. It comes in verse 36 and 37. Uh, It says, this was the dream, and now we interpret the dream. Verse 37, your majesty, you are, this is Daniel speaking, the one who 
who hears from the Lord, Your majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands he has placed all mankind, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, wherever they live, he has made you the ruler over them all. Thus you are the head of gold. I wanted to read that for you so that you could could begin to grasp how God's vessel, Daniel, honestly described and depicted the power, authority, and leadership of Nebuchadnezzar. It says that the God of heaven gave him dominion, power, might, and glory. These aren't small things, and this is not a small man. This is a substantial leader, the most powerful man in the entire world, the conqueror of nations, and God has given him dominion. And so then he continues on to describe, he says, you are the head of gold, and and then there will be uh, seasons after you of new kingdoms, and these new kingdoms will rise and they will fall. And in verse 39, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar really liked this verse, he might have like clung to it a little bit. Uh, After you, it says, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. And then it goes on. So so the silver, inferior, bronze, inferior, iron, inferior, clay and iron, a divided kingdom, obviously inferior. You have all of these inferior kingdoms, and here you are, this head of gold. And so Daniel uh, describes for him how there, there is no kingdom that will follow that is like his. But, but that's not the end of the story. All of the kingdoms, even the head of gold, all the way through, all are limited by human constraints. And then that rock that is thrown is unique in this way. Verse 44 says it in this way. In, this, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The word actually describes this rock that comes as one that that comes not by human hands, but rather by divine power. It is unique and will last forever. Why did I go through this foundational story that leads us to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar attributes this journey, this accomplishment of the impossible task uh, as one that comes not through Daniel's strength, but through his God. In verse 47, it says, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord, the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed by Daniel's God. 
and gives Daniel this cush lifestyle and then appoints his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be rulers over Babylon. They have, they have magistrate leadership over Babylon. Uh, the royal court reports to him, to them, excuse me. And so you now can see that, that the dream leads to an understanding of who God is. It establishes God's people in a position of authority in a land where they should not have any. And years go by. Some believe that the distance between chapter 2 and chapter 3 is 20 years. Let's just say it's 20 years. How much do you forget and how far can you fall in 20 years? It seems like Nebuchadnezzar fell really far. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, builds a statue. Isn't that odd? That he would build a statue after he just had a dream about a statue that crumbled. He builds a statue, but he doesn't build a statue out of all these different materials. He builds a statue out of one material. You want to guess which material that is? Gold. He builds it all out of gold. Remember the, the material that he was in the dream statue he was the gold and the gold fell as well but he did not want to build a statue that would fall so he built it all out of gold now let's let's put a picture to this this statue was 60 cubits a cubit is from a from a middle finger to an elbow at least 90 feet tall is this statue our tower is about 50 Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue almost twice as tall as the tower. You got me? Gold. All gold. There are treasure hunters that would love to find that, right? So he builds this statue all out of gold. And in many ways, it seems he is declaring that not only is his kingdom superior to all the kingdoms that will come after him, but he seems to be declaring that there will be no kingdom after him, that he will be eternal. He is rebuking and speaking directly against the kingdom that would come through the rock that was thrown that would be forever. He is saying, I am forever and so he he makes a declaration he makes a declaration uh he says hey uh whenever the music plays y'all gonna y'all gonna dance no not dance uh when the music plays you're going to bow down and you're going to worship you're going to direct your attention towards the statue. Everybody knows where it is. It's over in this, in this plain in Babylon. It's set up so that you could see it from, from miles around. And so he says, whenever the music plays, you bow down. And I think Nebuchadnezzar probably got some, some joy out of this. He would just walk around with an orchestra behind him and just all of a sudden like snap his fingers and boom, there was some music. And then everybody would start worshiping and be like, yeah, that's what I do. I make everyone worship, right? Like this is how Nebuchadnezzar's ego was functioning in this state. And so he set this gold statue up and says, everyone will worship. The decree actually goes like this in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples 
of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. Babylon is now this international city where he has collected slaves and servants and wise people from all over the world that he has conquered. And they're now all in Babylon. He says, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you used to do. I don't care anything about your gods. I don't care who you think has authority or power. All I care about is that when I snap my fingers and the music plays, you're going to worship. Now, how do you think that went over? I mean, he conquered nations from the east to the west to the north to the south. As far as anyone knew of in human history, he had conquered them. They were there, all the nations there in Babylon. How do you think that went? Did everybody just go with the flow? I remember, uh, so I was... I was uh, taking Aiden to a basketball practice, and the coach, you know, it was one of those, we were playing Elodia, and we had like our normal practice time, and then we had like an intense coach, and he was going to like get us extra practice time. Have y'all ever heard, heard those coaches? So like, like we, we, we had our normal practice time at the gym with all the Elodia kids, and then we had this other practice time, and so it was at an outdoor court in Tamina. Uh, or off of Tamina over on uh, the kind of back side of the woodlands, far uh, east side of Magnolia. Y'all know that, that, that little cut through that you would take so that you didn't have to deal with the 1488, 2978 traffic back before the, uh, the construction, right? And, and so that little cut through, uh, there's a, gym, there's a, there's a, a covered uh, basketball court right off of it. I had never been there. Like, I had never even driven on that street before. He gave me the address. I typed it in. I just got there. And I, when I got there, I was like, man, this is pretty, pretty easy. I didn't know this court was here. Maybe I'll come hoops here sometime. This is, this is good. So at the end of Aiden's practice, it's dark, winter time, uh, get in the car, just me and him. And I leave the parking lot, and I turn left. And I'm just, you know, rolling down Tamina heading back out to 2978 to come home back to Creekside. And uh, all of a sudden, some lights are coming at me. And they're, like, coming, like, kind of close to me, right? And it's dark. There's no, there's no center line. So I just kind of ease over to the, to the right, and they're still kind of getting a little close. So I start hammering the horn, and we keep going. Pass by. Whew. Same thing happened second time. And then the third time, this person wasn't, wasn't moving over, and they were honking at me before I started honking at them. And that is not okay. All right, I'm going to honk at you because you're in my way, you're in my lane, and you aren't doing what you need to do. You need to get out of the way. And so he starts honking at me, and then I start honking at him, and then we're honking at each other. And then there's a line of traffic behind him. And here I am, struck with the reality that I'm driving on the wrong side of a one-lane road. Like there is one lane to go this way and one lane to go that way. If Kirkendall was just a two-lane road, but it was still split, that's what I was on. Fortunately, we were driving, I was driving like 20 miles an hour, 25 neighborhood, right? Kids, be safe. And then they were driving maybe 30 at me. And so I felt like I was in one of those action movies. I was like, whoo, 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 just trying to get out of the way of the cars. And Aiden's like, Dad, you're so stupid. As a loving son would be known to do well I was I was going against the flow of traffic everybody was going one way and I was going the other 
I always thought that my favorite scene in action movies, because it's a common scene, like if it's a good action movie, it has this scene, was when the escape truck goes into, or car goes into the oncoming traffic, and you're going like 90, and they're coming like 70, and you're just doing this. It's not that fun. And I was going 20, 25, they were coming 30. It's not that fun. What do you think happened when Nebuchadnezzar said, I snap my fingers, the music plays, everyone from every nation, all of you are going to worship? If you guessed that everyone worshiped, you would be almost correct. In verse 7, as though it was just assumed, natural, obvious. In verse 7, it says, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold. If Nebuchadnezzar said it, they did it. Without question or argument, every single one of them. Going against the grain is really hard. And it's uncommon. But what about our three heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, people that wanted them out of authority, right? Like everybody's like positioning themselves to get more. And so in this sort of a culture, there are people that want some of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have after what Daniel had done in interpreting the impossible dream. Here's what happens. Uh, They go to, to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, Nebuchadnezzar, everyone's obeying. You snap. They worship. This is exactly how it's supposed to be, except those three Jews. They don't do it. So Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you one more chance. I hadn't seen it, so I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this chance. I'm going to snap my fingers. The music's going to play. And whenever that happens, I need you to get down on your knees and worship. I am benevolent. I'll give you another chance. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, king, if we are thrown into the furnace, in verse 17, if we are thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. He could do whatever he wants. Just as he was able to name your dream and interpret your dream, he is able to deliver us. You wonder who will deliver us from your hand. If our God wants us to be delivered, our God will deliver us. But I love the clarity of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in in verse 18. But even if God does not deliver us, we still won't worship your God or that statue you set up. God is able to deliver, but even if he doesn't deliver, we're not going to worship any idol you set before us. They're so clear, so crystal clear that they are going to move against the grain here in this situation. And of course, the way the rest of the story plays out, 
Nebuchadnezzar says, heat the furnace up seven times over. They, they tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They throw them in the fire. And, of course, uh, we, we see that the, the angel of the Most High God comes into the fire with them, is present there with them in the fire, and they come out, and Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges God's power and authority. Whenever the people of God work against the grain for the sake of the gospel, there is a potent and powerful witness. That, that witness is something that, that, that we understand at Covenant to be essential to what we do. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus lays this witness out for us. He says, but, but you will receive, this is right before he ascends into heaven, but you will receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, it says, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our missions team at Covenant has been discerning what does it look like for Covenant, for the people of God at Covenant, to, to go against the grain, to, to lean in in ways that are uncommon, even uh, amongst the, the, those in the Christian faith. And, and to be honest, most missions at churches are really thin, shallow, and mostly financial. That, that's, that, that's maybe a, a temptation that we have in church missions is, is every single one of you has a, a heart for missions, has, has, has a, a foundation or an organization that your heart uh, uh, has led you to support. And so each and every one of us has something that we feel drawn to. And so what we do is we all come into the church together and then we direct the church and, and, and we say, hey, people of God, how should we direct our resources and missions? And, and one person says, how about this one? And another one says, how about this one? And everybody raises their hand. And next thing you know, the, the church uh, ends up having 47 different missions uh, and they all have their own mission funds, their the own designated funds. And, and you do almost nothing with any of them except for maybe have a Sunday uh, a popcorn support here and there. Our missions team has seen Covenant begin the tempting track towards that. Towards shallow, hands-off financially focused missions and our missions team has been in prayer about how we at covenant can go against the grain to stand in contrast the very first annual theme covenant ever had was contrast that we knew god was calling us to live differently and so as a church covenant's missions team has leaned into acts 1 8 and they said, we're, we're called to be witnesses in these four arenas. And so covenant is going to limit, constrain our mission focus into four arenas as well. Jerusalem, like the really near in the community, that's going to be what we do in the schools. Our school partnerships in this community to serve the families here in our mission field is our Jerusalem. Judea that which is still in our region. I mean, Jer Jerusalem is actually in the region of J Judea. Uh, that for us is our work in Tomball Emergency Assistance Ministries team, which serves our community and serves an extension of our community out towards Tomball. Samaria, 
you have to intentionally get up and go to it. Jews would go around it, but you have to make a decision that you're going to take a trip to go there. That's our, uh, our mission trips, whether it's our youth going to San Antonio, our disaster relief heading to Bridge City, or disaster relief heading to Iowa. That is us taking a mission trip to go and serve. And then finally, to the ends of the earth, our international partnerships. We have been a partner in Haiti for years, but through the the trials and, uh, and of the structures of, rev- of potential revolutions in Haiti, that's no longer feasible or possible. So we're currently exploring what international mission partnership, particularly in Latin America, we're called to. So I wanted you to hear that Covenant is moving strategically through our missions team to go against the grain as well so that we would be hands-on, so that we would have deep, rich partners so that we would be so deeply invested in what is taking place in our schools and team uh, and in the mission trip partners that we have and in our international partnership that we would be one with them. And what happens, what happens when we look at this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is when you're a witness that works against the grain, God receives glory. Nebuchadnezzar turns his attention towards God and says in verse 29, I'm making a decree that if you say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will have to deal with me. Let us as the people of God stand out Be different. Be so wholly committed to God that there would be nothing that could convince us otherwise. Let's come together now in prayer. Gracious God, we trust you. We trust you to do a mighty and powerful work in our midst, and we pray, O God, that you would move in this space and time in us, that you would challenge us to to no longer uh, settle for that which is easy, to settle for that which is comfortable, but Lord, challenge us. And as we are challenged, Lord, we, we will rely upon you, we will trust in you to, to stand out and to stand different against the grain in a world that so easily leads to conformity. The only thing we want to conform to is the power and working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let your will be done in our lives, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.